Well, welcome back to the Santa Cruz Baptist Podcast. This is our second episode, and today we're going to be discussing Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 56. And it's the story of Jesus sending the disciples out on a boat and then coming to them walking on the water, stilling the storm, and then getting them safely to shore at Gennesaret. And so uh, our hope for this podcast is to discuss things and to kind of flesh things out that didn't necessarily make it into the sermon. Um, More of a a long-form, applicational-minded podcast. Uh, But we hope that you guys will also participate in this. If there is a question that you had from the sermon on Sunday that didn't get addressed, that you would like to hear us discuss, feel free to email it in before Tuesday morning um, at office at santacruzbaptist.com. Um, I'm Drew Cunningham. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm Tyler Hurst. Uh, since I didn't preach this Sunday, I'll be playing the host role. Uh, so, Drew, why don't you start us off by telling us what do you hope that people walked away with on Sunday? Yeah, so I think really two things that are, are really one thing. Um, the first thing is that Jesus is God. Um, over and over and over again, Mark tries to show us through the the Job 9 passage that Jesus seems to be appropriating um, and Ezekiel, or or sorry, Exodus 33 and the first Kings text. um, Jesus is trying to show us very clearly and trying to show his disciples that he is God. And so I think that is the main point that I wanted people to understand. Uh, But along with that, uh, we see that, that Jesus intentionally puts his disciples in storms. And that, that's true for all of us. It doesn't mean that we're in sin if we're in a storm, necessarily. Um, sometimes Jesus does that intentionally. He puts us in storms, but he's with us, um, and he prays for us, and he sees us. And so, um, that main point that Jesus is God becomes even more significant in light of those truths, that no matter what we're going through, um, whatever storm it is in life, that it's not just uh, a good friend who's with us, even though that's a good thing, um, it's God who's mm-hmm. with us, mm-hmm. and that Jesus is God. And so, that, that's what I wanted people to walk away with. Yeah, and that that passage in Job is huge because it connects to, like, I mean, you can you have that one passage. So just to read it for those who are listening, uh, it's Job nine eight through ten, and it says, "Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? Who made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the cham- chambers of the south? Who does great things beyond searching out, marvelous things beyond number?" And so you have you have this kind of uh, testimony of who God is and it's coming to Job in the midst of his own storm, right? It's coming to Job in the midst of uh, having lost his kids, having lost his wealth, having lost his home. uh, And he's just surrounded by, you know, he's got these three friends who start off good, but they're going to drift into not being super helpful. And he's got a kind of nagging wife. Uh, So there's not a lot going well for Job in that moment. And, the testimony to him is the character and nature of God, which Mark is, is seems quite clearly to be like plagiarizing to a certain extent toying around with. Totally. And, and you could do the exact same thing with um, the, the first Kings 1911 text mm-hmm. um, that 
Elijah is going through a difficult time in life. He's being chased down by Jezebel. Things are not going well for him. He's in the middle of a storm and God reveals himself right. um, to, to Elijah. You know, he says, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by. Um, so those, those two things in first Kings 19 in Job nine and in Exodus 33, we have uh, the, these theophanies, God revealing himself in specific ways and passing by um, to reveal his glory. And so Jesus is, is clearly um, appropriating the, those texts when mm-hmm. he, he walks out on the water and when he passes by the disciples in the boat to show that he is God. And, and as you, you said in Job, um, even in the midst of all of Job's distress, God's in control. He mm-hmm. knows what he's yeah. doing. And I, I think that's the main point that I wanted people to see. Yeah, and it's it's super interesting to take that and to put it into the context of what a lot of people want to say about Christianity, which is, uh, and you got at this with Jesus is your friend, but he's substantially more than that. So many people want to look at Christianity and put Jesus as uh, this paragon of virtue, this moral exemplar, this great uh, ethical teacher. But it, if you do that, um, you fundamentally lose this message, right? And so... Uh, you, I mean, you're going to lose the message because you're going to lose the miracle, but mm-hmm. you lose the message because you lose the identity of who Jesus actually is. Bingo. And so, uh, as we were discussing earlier, uh, when you're going through something mm-hmm. um, really difficult, let's say the loss of a child or um, you know, just, just anything that, that is a tough storm to go through, which one is more comforting, mm-hmm. that, that Jesus is an, an example um, or that, that Jesus is God. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I think, yes, it is, it is such a good thing that Jesus is an example to us. That's true. Um, but it's so much more than that. He's so much more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an example, but he is God. And I think in those moments when you're, you're going through the most difficult things in life, um, we need more than just an example. We need God to actually right. see us and to know us and to be praying for us like he is here in Mark 6. Yeah, so this passage had uh, a unique aspect to it in that uh, you're really talking to everybody in the room with this. There's not a single one of us who gets out of this life without going through some kind of storm. Uh, It's just going to look different. And we could say um, in God's grace and mercy, the storm's intensity varies person to person, probably subjectively based off of God's care and compassion for those particular individuals. Um, So I think it would be helpful to think for a minute just specifically, how do we want to respond in the midst of storms? Uh, what what are we supposed to do there? It's great to know, hey, like Jesus is praying for you in the midst of this and to kind of have that intellectual knowledge, but what are we practically supposed to do? Yeah, so first of all, I'd, I'd want to cut the disciples a little bit of slack here in the text. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it, it's easy to poke fun at them that Jesus walked out on the water to them and that it says they were terrified. Mm-hmm. Um, and they yeah, my first out. question was going to be, do you believe in ghosts because of... Uh, Verse 49, they thought it was a ghost. That's what I got when I taught high schoolers. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's easy to, to kind of poke fun at them mm-hmm. um, for that. For, mm-hmm. Like, oh, they think it's a ghost. They're terrified. They're mm-hmm. crying out. Um, so I want to cut them a little bit of slack that um, whenever we are going through a storm, uh, it's easy to, for us just to respond like mm-hmm. them um, and to have even hard-heartedness like they do. Um, but I think... 
to answer the question, what, what this text is wanting to push us towards is trusting in, in Christ, trusting in uh, God in the midst of storms, to having, having peace, um, to clinging to the truth that he is God. Mm-hmm. He is, is the God who revealed himself in Exodus chapter 3 to Moses. Um, he is, is the God um, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled mm-hmm. on the waves of the sea. That's a God you can trust. Um, and I, I think one of the points that I brought out in the sermon is that Jesus is gracious in this moment, that even in their hard-heartedness, even in their fear out on the water, um, Jesus knows that about them, and yet he still gets in the boat with them mm-hmm. and still brings them safely to shore and allows them to see another miracle um, and healing there in Gennesaret right right after this. And so yeah. I think two things, in the middle of storms, learning what it looks like to trust in Christ, but also realizing his graciousness for yeah. us when we don't respond well in the middle of, of trial. Hmm. It's interesting. I So I wonder, I have the question, um, do you think our... Uh, I guess our peace or our, our peaceful disposition in the midst of storms is directly related to our theological understanding. So, like, if we get this, are we going to be uh, less prone to freaking out like the disciples are? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think it's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it matters, you know. The the old saying goes, um, you know, that the distance mm-hmm. from your head to your heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, understanding it with your head is one thing, mm-hmm. but. Actually, getting this, as you said, with your heart is a different thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's super fascinating to think about this because I, I tend to think we have uh, sort of a church disposition, which is different than uh, our actual what we're actually experiencing and thinking and feeling at different points in time. Um, just recently, a uh, friend and church member, uh, Chris, and I were getting coffee down at Pete's just across the street and um, talking Bible, scripture, small group kind of stuff. And this gentleman at a table near us, his name's Doug, overheard us and he came over, chatted with us for a little bit. And uh, he made a couple of comments about needing a change in his uh, sort of religious life. And what it, what it came down to, um, to be totally honest, it's, it's sort of a crass way of putting it. But I think it's something that, that many people in contemporary church circles like we, we run in uh, would express something similar if they were actually honest. And that's, he said... Uh, that his problem with his faith is that he's not seeing like results. He uses the re- word results uh, like five or six times. And, and I, I think Chris said, well, what do you mean when, uh, when you talk about results? And he said, well, results from a human perspective. And so I, I wonder, what do, you think, um, what do you think you would tell Doug in light of this passage? Yeah, a um, couple things that, that we saw clearly in this text. One, is that Jesus makes his disciples get in the boat, (laughs) knowing full well what is ahead Mm. of them in the storm. And so as Christians, we're not promised results in the Mm. way that that Doug is using the term. Um, We're often told that we will have trials as Mm. Christians. We will have storms. And that's what we see here. Jesus pushes his disciples into the storm. Mm. Um, And that, that that's not a bad thing, that Jesus does that for our good. Um, so 
Um, in many ways, that's how Jesus gets results in our lives is through pushing us into storms, through um, having us go through difficult trials. And so uh, a phrase that I said in, in the sermon on Sunday was that this text is an absolute kill shot Mm-hmm. Uh, against prosperity theology, right? This idea that if you follow Jesus, that you're going to be healthy, that you're going to be wealthy, that everything's going to go well for you, that mm-hmm. you're going to get quote unquote good results if you follow Jesus. Yeah, I think um, as you're talking about that, it makes me think of the high priestly prayer in John 17, where Jesus is praying uh, for the disciples and for those who would come after the disciples, i.e., like us, current mm-hmm. Christians, uh, Christians throughout church history, and he's praying. Not that they be removed from the world, but that they be kind of set apart from the world. So set apart like the concept of like holiness, they're set apart from for God, but they have to stay in the world. And if you do like, you know, one of those big kind of seminary style word studies on like world cosmos, which is being used there, uh, you're going to find the world is not for the Christian supposed to be a comfortable place to live. And he's explicitly saying yeah, no, you, you stay in, but it's not going to be <laughs> comfortable. And so I'm praying for you. <laughs> exactly. So mm-hmm. the text that I read, mm-hmm. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, um, Jesus is talking to Peter. Mm-hmm. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Um, so we jokingly said... <laughs> You know, I can imagine what was going through Peter's head at that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Peter's probably sitting there saying, well, what did you say, Jesus? <laughs> yeah. Certainly you said no, mm-hmm. um, because I'm your disciple. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not what Jesus says. Um, he says, I prayed for you that mm-hmm. your faith may not fail. And so we, we are not promised good results or, you know, health or wealth, mm-hmm. yeah. um, or that, that there's not going to be storms in our lives. We're, we're promised the exact opposite, that we will have storms, um, but that, again, that Jesus is with us. He says, yeah. take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's comforting in the midst of storms, that mm-hmm. we're not there um, by mistake, and that, that Jesus sees us, he knows us, he's with us. Yeah, you grabbed onto that um, concept that that Jesus sees it, connected it back to the Old Testament, that God is a God who sees. Why don't you uh, explore that a little bit? Yeah, so in, in Genesis 16, uh, there's a name for God there. There's many names for God in the Old Testament, uh, but one of the names for God is El Roy, the God who sees. And so in the story of Hagar, um, she's in this moment feeling completely abandoned um, and, and put out. Um, she's being kind of persecuted from mm-hmm. by uh, Sarai and, and Abram at this point. But God shows up to her and says, I, I see what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, I see you. I'm listening to you. And so she, she calls him El Roy, the God who sees and names this, this um, guess, watering hole uh, after she called, the well was called Beer Lahai Roy, Genesis sixteen fourteen. Um, so this this idea that God sees us is not um, uh, necessarily a, a scary thing. It's a comforting thing mm-hmm. that He sees us and that He knows us and that He cares about us. Um, we we were kind of discussing kind of a, a fuller concept of that that the idea that God. God's face shines on us. Yeah. Uh, that was in the benediction on mm-hmm. Sunday from Numbers. 
um, you know, that, that his face shines on us is an idea of God's blessing in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And God turning his face away from us is the concept of, of cursing right. in the Old Testament. And so there's so many directions we could, could go with that. Um, we, I, I could have you know talked 10 or 15 minutes at least on that in the sermon. That's one of the things that, that got cut out this week, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, because the only reason that... God is able to see us or to have his face shine on us is because of Jesus, yeah. um, because he turned his face away from Jesus on the cross. Uh, right. We see in Psalm 22, um, which is one of the Psalms that Jesus quotes on the cross, mm-hmm. says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. Uh, this idea that, that God has turned his face away from his son on the cross. And so... Um, because God turned his face away from him, he's able to turn his face towards us in blessing. Right. Um, and so, that yeah, that this idea that God sees us, uh, it's a beautiful thing. It's something that we, we shouldn't take for granted. And it's only there because of the cross. Yeah, I think that's so key to connect it to, to Christ. Because we have, and I, I could totally be stealing this from like Tim Keller, John Piper, but we have all these promises in scripture, which get to be true of us essentially because God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit decided they would not be true of Jesus during his earthly life. And so um, one particular or some that come to mind are from the Beatitudes. So you have blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, we are given the Holy Spirit. We're renewed. We're given a heart of flesh. Uh, We are made rich in spirit. Why? Well, because my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus was made poor in spirit. And we have, you know, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Well, why can we be comforted by, by God when we are enemies of God, according to Romans? Well, because Christ in that moment was forsaken by God. He wasn't comforted. And we can go through that, you know, why did the meek inherit the earth? Because Christ, the conqueror, did not inherit the earth. Uh, why, why are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, why can they be satisfied? Well, because Christ was not satisfied. Uh, and so we can go through the Beatitudes and we can go through all these promises and they get to be yes and amen to us because they were not for Jesus. Absolutely. He took our curse. Yeah. So uh, where that would be found most clearly stated is Galatians chapter three, uh, verses 13 through 14. Uh, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Mm-hmm. Well, how? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hang, is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, mm. so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So what he's saying there is that, that through faith, being in Christ, we receive the blessing of Abraham and he uh, received the curse that we deserve. So again, the father turns his face away from Christ and in, in curse and turns his face toward us in mm-hmm. blessing. Yeah, I was thinking actually about this this morning because there's um, there's this way or there's certain things that I think we often use in like parenting our kids that totally miss the boat on a lot of opportunities to teach them the gospel. Uh, and so I was thinking about um, the concept of fairness, for example. Uh, you know, kids get different things. They might think like, oh, that, that, that's not fair. Uh, and when I think about this, I think, well, like, that's not fair. Like, fair is actually, in many ways, the opposite of the gospel. 
the there are times where God in his goodness, he is not fair in order to love us well. <laughs> Bingo. Yeah. The, the concept of grace mm-hmm. is, is not fair. Right. Um, we get grace and that's not fair. We don't mm-hmm. deserve God's grace. Mm-hmm. That would, would be opposite of the definition of grace. Right. <laughs> um, and so a- absolutely um, that, that this idea is not fair and that's why it's beautiful that, that it should humble us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've talked about what you're, what you're hoping they take away. Uh, we've talked a little bit about some of the things you've left on the cutting room floor. Uh, but just looking at the scripture passage, um, you had, uh, Mark six forty five through the end of the chapter in 56, but basically all my notes from your sermon hover above, uh, verse 52. So it looks like you, you kind of glossed over 53 through 56. So is there anything in particular? Uh, so, so you noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything in particular that, uh, that you saw in there that you think, man, just couldn't get to this because the, who Jesus is in walking on water is so important. I had to lay that down. Yeah. So I think honestly, verses 53 through 56 could have been a sermon in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And, and that's true pretty much on any given week uh, of a sermon that you mm-hmm. or I preach. Um, for, for those of you who, who are listening out there, um, one of the things we, we try to think through is most Barna studies say that um, the average person is in a church about three years. Um, while we wish that wasn't the case, while we wish we mm. had, had people for life, um, we could just invest in them um, and go slowly through text. Um, the reality is that the people are in a, a church for about three years. And so that's how we think through even um, our, our sermon series. We, we want over three years for people to get uh, a full smorgasbord of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so that means taking larger chunks of text sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes we slow down and we'll do a couple of verses, but more often than not, we're taking larger chunks of, of text. This is one of those. So um, verses 53 through 56 almost completely got put on the cutting room floor this week. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, just a, a couple interesting points that didn't make it anywhere near the sermon. Um, it, it's interesting in verse 45, uh, it says, Immediately he, meaning Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. So Bethsaida was their initial destination where mm-hmm. they, they were trying to get to. But in verse 53, after this storm happens, um, we see when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret um, and moored to the shore. So that's that's not where they had it's intended to go. Spot. It's not the same spot. Mm-hmm. If you look on a map, they're actually on opposite sides of, of the north uh, side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, you've got Gennesaret on the, the northwest side of the sea. You've got um, Bethsaida mm-hmm. um, on the northeast side of the sea. So uh, th- that's interesting that they didn't get where they had initially intended to go, mm-hmm. but th- there seems that there's purpose in that. So the plane left Dallas, headed for Grand Rapids, and landed in Portland. Bingo. Got it. So um, I-, I think there, there's a lot to say there that sometimes these storms mm-hmm. seemed to knock us off course. We don't mm-hmm. get to where we originally thought we were going to go. Um, but there's purpose even in that. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen that in, in 2020. How many mm-hmm. of us had calendared plans and things that we had intended on doing? 
Um, we were trying to get to Bethsaida on mm-hmm. our 2020 calendars, but that didn't happen. Uh, the storm of, of coronavirus, of mm-hmm. COVID-19 happened, yeah. and we ended up in Gennesaret instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I would just want to say that's that's not a mistake. God knows what he's doing. Look what he ends up doing in Gennesaret. Um, all these people come and they're healed. Um, and again, if you guys remember uh, in our sermon on Legion, mm-hmm. uh, Gennesaret is where he was from. Right. And at the end of that text, so Jesus casts out the Legion of Demons um, and Legion wants to go with Jesus on the boat, but Jesus mm-hmm. says, no, you can't come with me. You need to go back. Um, and so Legion obeys. He goes back and he tells people about who Jesus is, right. what he had done. Well, they come back here in this text and all these people know about Jesus mm-hmm. and then they're flocking to him. They, they want, they believe that he can heal them. Uh-huh. So there's something really powerful about that, that God had a plan to go back to Gennesaret um, through this storm. And so, you know, if that's you today, if your plans in 2020 or, or even going forward are not the plans you thought you were going to have, um, keep your eyes open for what God might be doing in that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're getting pretty close to the end of our time. So how about we just wrap up with a couple recommendations to help people go deeper with these particular ideas? Yeah. So one that immediately comes to mind uh, is the the movie or the, the documentary, uh, The American Gospel. And now, there's two of those. Two of those, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the first one in particular, uh, both okay. of them are really good, but <laughs> the first one in particular is on um, the prosperity gospel and the, the ways that that has distorted the good mm-hmm. news of Jesus in so many ways. And so uh, that's, that's one recommendation that I would make that uh, just kind of goes along with this sermon, that mm-hmm. the prosperity gospel teaches that there's there's no such thing as a storm mm-hmm. in a Christian's life. And that's just it's not true. Right. Um, it actually takes away something that, that God wants to do through the storms mm-hmm. in us. And um, yeah, so I, I'd highly recommend going and watching that. You can find it on Amazon Prime, I believe. Okay. Well, I'll, uh, I'll give a recommendation as well. And we'll, we normally throw out a lot of books, so I'll keep it with videos. Uh, there is on YouTube, and we'll put it the link in the show notes, but on YouTube, there's a talk by Russell Moore about his book, The Storm-Tossed Family, and how it's titled How the Cross Reshapes the Home. Uh, Dr. Moore, Southern Baptist uh, theologian, uh, philosopher, ethicist, just brilliant mind. Um, so we'll put that in the show notes, and you guys can watch it and uh hopefully it's edifying to you um and i think maybe it would just be good to uh to then close with the benediction that we gave our people on sunday uh so for those of you listening um this is from number six verses 24 through 26 and it's uh the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Well, thank you guys for listening. Uh, We hope this has been beneficial to you. If you have any further questions you want us to discuss on the podcast, remember to send it out to office at santacruzbaptist.com. And uh, we will see you again next week. See you next week.